Hello, and welcome to the You Go Girl podcast. My name is Erin Chapman, and I'll be your host as each week we interview a Canadian woman who has excelled in sport so she can share her story and inspire more girls and women to get up and get active. You Go Girl! Welcome back to another super exciting episode of the You Go Girl podcast. Today, I'm joined by Libby Ives, who is just the most incredible performer ever. Libby, thanks for being here. No problem. I'm very excited. Can you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Okay, for sure. Um, So I have been pole dancing for um, almost exactly 10 years now. Um, I started when I was living abroad in Australia. I was there for university for about a year and a half. And while I was down there, I was missing dance. Like I've been a dancer for many, many years. And so I kind of was missing having that creative um, and active outlet in my life. And so the spot that I was living in, there was a pole studio just down the street. And I was kind of like, every time I walked by, I would like poke, poke my eyeballs through the window and just be like, wanting to know more, but a little bit nervous, a little bit unsure. Um, And it was when my mom came down to visit me for a couple weeks that she was like, well, why don't you just take a class? Just like give it a try and see what it's all about. Um, And so I convinced one of my roommates to go with me and she never went back. (laughs) And I started going every single day. Um, So I was, I like dove in wholeheartedly started taking classes um, five to six days a week, usually multiple classes a day, um, everything from like boot camp and fitness classes to pole choreography and tricks and um, acro fitness and stuff like that. So like a little bit of everything, I just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, And so then when I moved back to Canada, I wanted to continue training, but there weren't really studios in my area. Um, So I went from training about five or six days a week down to once a week, a single class and was kind of like bummed about that. Um, But kept on with it, started getting into competitions, started getting into teaching. And from there, I kind of built my way up from amateur competitions to semi-pro professional competing across Canada, competing um, in the States as well, um, as well as teaching, you know, seven days a week. At one point I was teaching seven days a week at like four or five different studios um, to the point where I made it my full-time career. And then about a year and a half ago, one of the studios that I was teaching at um, the owner offered to sell me the studio. And so then I became a studio owner and it's been, I mean, the last year has been hard because <laughs> COVID, but it's been like a, such a huge learning experience. So yeah, the last 10 years, pole has been a huge, huge part of my life in so many different ways. I have so many follow-up questions. 
Okay. <laughs> let's, let's dive into it then. Inspiring me. Um, let's start with, did you ever expect 10 years ago in Australia that something you did on a whim would become your full life? Absolutely not. Oh, absolutely not. And I often think about the fact that if I hadn't gone to study abroad, um, I probably never would have found pole. Um, I think that being like physically being where I was and, um, and kind of like already being in a place where I was, I had moved across the world. I was outside of my comfort zone and kind of had already turned my entire life upside down in a way that I never would have expected. It was just something that then happened to fall into my lap. And I think if I hadn't moved across the globe, um, it's likely something that like, I almost think of, you know, like past Libby. <laughs> kind of as a separate person I think she was not really the type that I that would have um that would have like taken that leap um so yeah I do I I think about that a lot where I'm like I never could have foreseen I never could have foreseen how much it would have impacted my life for sure incredible and what's really cool is you mentioning how your mom kind of pushed you to take that leap. I was talking last week's episode to Laura Alt and it was her grandma who introduced her to pole. So what's it like having the support of women, even your friend who it was not her thing, but still went with that class to you. What's it like to have the support of women pushing you to pursue your dreams in sport? Oh, it's amazing. Um, my, my mom, especially like she's always been so super supportive of pretty much everything that I've done. Like she was um, also the one that like encouraged me to study abroad as well. Um, so I, I think about the fact that she's provided me with so many opportunities throughout my life um, and so much support um, like emotionally and um, financially and just like in so many different ways that I cannot even, like I'm so grateful. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a very powerful thing to have um, other women like that be able to to kind of lift you up. Mm -hmm. Very, and that's what this podcast is all about. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And as a dancer, because I'm a dancer who then got into pole, what are the transferable skills from something that's purely just your body to now you have an apparatus that you have to work around? So this is like... It's interesting that you bring up that question because um, obviously right now we're in lockdown, but um, in December, like beginning of December, um, I had this very similar discussion with several of our new students at the studio um, where they come in for their first class and a lot of the time people are just so thrown off by um, how different the sport of pole is from anything else so even people who come in with a dance background um i kind of remind them that you know as dancers we're very used to relying on our own center of gravity and being very much in control of our bodies and with pole you do have to obviously be in very much in control of your body but it's more than anything i would i would kind of compare it to like a ballroom dancer almost right where you're very reliant on 
your partner. And in this case, your partner is a solid object. <laughs> so it's, it's that pull that you have to be able to have trust in the apparatus um, and be able to kind of let go of your own center in a way that when you're just dancing freely in your own body, you don't necessarily um, have that sense of letting go. Um, and so I think for dancers to transfer into pole, obviously the coordination, the body awareness, all of those things are very transferable and make it, um, make, make it a lot easier to pick up the skills, um, as well as obviously the strength and flexibility that dancers um, work on in their own discipline. Um, all of that transfers to pole, but then the being able to kind of let go and put your trust into something outside of your body is, is a little bit different. For sure. For sure. I know it's yeah. the hands too. So sometimes I question that trust, but you just have to know that with all the training yeah. and the spotting from your teacher, it'll happen. Yep, exactly, exactly. Can you, can you explain the sport a little bit, like spin versus static pole, maybe some of the different kinds of moves that you do in the sport? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yes, a lot of people, especially when they're new to the sport, don't necessarily realize that there's um, a diff that there are different ways to use the apparatus, right? So I've had people that come in for their first class and they're like, oh, I tried it once for a bachelorette party, but the pole that we used was spinning. And then I kind of like the poles that we have um, are platinum stages ones. So they have the pin that pops out to transfer it from spin pole to static pole. Um, and so I will then like pop the pin out and show them like, oh, our poles do that as well. So you can have it on spin or you can have it on static. And so for those who are obviously not familiar, static pole would be when the pole itself is very solid, it's not spinning, it's just a stationary object attached top and bottom, um, and you use the momentum of your own body um, creating that circular motion around the pole in order to create, um, we call them static spins, which seems like kind of a, <laughs> a little bit of an oxymoron, I guess. Um, but you're using your own body's momentum to move around the stationary pole versus spin pole would be that the pole is freely spinning and you still do use your own body's momentum, but the body mechanic is much more focused on um, like a lift and hold and you're just holding a stationary position within your own body and the pole does the spinning for you. So there are very different skill sets as far as the, um, the type of coordination and the type of body awareness that you use, um, the type of strength that you use when you're doing the two different styles. And so when people watch competitions, for example, or showcase performances, most public um, competitions and showcases will have two poles on stage, one being a static pole and one being a spin pole, and performers will go back and forth between the two to showcase different types of skills. Um, I find for myself, I tend to go back and forth between my preference, <laughs> depending on what I 
am kind of focusing my training on at the time. So over the last year or so, I've gotten um, much more into um, free movement and pull flow. So a lot more static spins, um, combining static pull work and floor work, um, as well as off pole dancing. Um, versus sometimes when I'm in a place where I'm focusing more on tricks, then I'll prefer to work on spin pull because the strength of just holding the trick and allowing the pull to spin me in it um, feels like more comfortable at the time. So for me, I kind of will go back and forth between the two. Um, they're, like I said, very different skill sets. And so people might prefer one over the other or might like waver between the two depending on their own training. I'm team spin pole all the way. <laughs> all the way. That's me. <laughs> okay, let's debunk a few myths. Okay. The first myth is I don't have upper body strength, so I can't do pole fitness. Oh my goodness. When people say this, okay, so whenever people say this, I literally laugh to myself. Um because I my comparison for that is if someone were to say, oh, I'm not strong enough to go to the gym. And I'm like, that's why you go to the gym. <laughs> like the entire purpose of the activity is to build the strength. It's not to go into it with existing strength. Like um, I, I always tell my beginners, we're going to build the strength as you go. Like, I don't expect you to come in already knowing how to do things. This is why it's a beginner class. So, um, and especially for women where we don't naturally develop that upper body strength, it takes a lot more effort for us to build that upper body strength versus men who naturally have testosterone, which builds that strength more quickly and more easily. Um, we have to work a little bit harder for it. And so the process from the beginning of starting to take classes up until like building yourself into those intermediate levels, those advanced levels, those high elite levels, um, you're going to build that strength as you go. And so that's where smart training um, and consistent training come into play. Um, but absolutely, you don't need to already have strength, um, especially upper body or core strength. You don't already need to have that in order to start pole because as women, most of us don't have that, right? So it's, it's something that will build over time and that we specifically focus on building from the ground up. Well said. All right, our second myth is the classic, are all people who do pole strippers? And not that there's anything wrong with being a stripper. We're not stripper shaming. If that's your profession, if that's your love, power to you. But can you just debunk the myth that any person who has ever touched a pole is a stripper? Absolutely. So yes, um, there is a lot of controversy and I'm sure that you know this, that there is a lot of controversy within the pole world itself between strippers and sex workers and the people who get into pole for the fitness side of things, pole sport, as they like to call it, right? So um, for me, I find that a lot of people, when they find out that I'm a pole dancer, 
um, immediately become very conscious of like, uh, what do I call you? Like, is it pole, you're a pole dancer, you're a pole artist, you're a pole fitness person? Like, what do you call it? And I'm like, for me, I don't really care. I have a great deal of respect for strippers because like I couldn't do what they do. First of all, it's, um, definitely a different skill set, not only physically from what would be considered pole sport. Um, but it's a very different mental state. I think that you would have to have. And obviously I'm coming from a place of, um, a lot of my own assumptions and, um, uh, and I know, I recognize that I do have a certain level of ignorance when it comes to this because I don't have any personal experience with it. Um, but I do, I have met a lot of um, people over the years who either currently work as strippers or have previously worked as strippers. And so that's kind of their background. And we have to remember as pole dancers, regardless of why you got into the sport or the art or whatever you like to call it, that the origins of what modern day pole is, the origins came from strip clubs. So not everyone who takes a pole class is a stripper. Not everyone who takes a pole class wants to be a stripper. Um, but we have to acknowledge the fact that the way that we train and the way that we approach pole in modern society comes from strip clubs and was built in strip clubs. So the type of tricks that we have um, come from those origins versus a lot of people um, will will try to argue that like, oh, well, it comes from a circus background or, um, you know, the there's like a big a big old wooden pole post thing from, uh, I think it's like an Indian, like East Indian. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the, what the sport is called, but again, it uses a lot of the same types of holds, um, and grips that we use in modern day pole. So yes, um, certain parts of the sport come from, comes come from that and come from circus but the majority of what we do is derived from what generations and generations of strippers developed in a club setting so to, <laughs> to whenever whenever people kind of have a little bit of like disregard for that or disrespect for that i find it is a little bit just sad Right? Like those women um, work really, really hard and um, for the most part are in that industry because they love it, because it's what they love to do. And they're very powerful women. They're very confident and um, not just powerful, but empowered. Right? So I think we have to have um, respect for that and we have to acknowledge that in order to claim the title of pole dancers for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think empowered is the perfect world, word, the perfect word to yeah. explain pole and the entire background of it because I feel like a superwoman when yeah. I'm in pole class, that sometimes yeah. you have that confidence. 
And then maybe if you can touch even on why people in pole classes don't wear a lot of clothing, like it's usually a sports bra and booty shorts, because I know when I first started, I was like, oh no, like I'm not showing skin. And then you <laughs> feel so safe in that environment that by the end you're like, woohoo! You'll like, get I, naked everywhere. <laughs> I can be in a sports bra and booty shorts, but the reason is because, if you could explain. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The reason is because we need to stick to the pole. <laughs> So for, um, it's, it's one of those things where, um, whenever people come for their first class or like contact me about coming in to try a class, they're always like, well, what should I wear? Like, what do I need to bring? Um, and I generally recommend like for your first class, you're not going to need to wear shorts. You're not going to need, like, you can easily come and do your first class in like a long sleeve shirt and leggings or yoga pants if you want to. You can wear socks, you can wear whatever you want to wear because generally speaking, the very first class that you take, you're gonna be doing a little bit of conditioning and strength building exercises at a very basic level. You're gonna learn um, a couple of probably basic transitions around the pole or like dance style moves around the pole and you're going to learn probably one or two beginner spins um, all of which you really only need to be able to grip the pole with your hands right so for the first class for the first few classes generally you don't need that skin grip on the pole once you start getting into um, moves where you're climbing where you're inverting, which is going upside down on the pole, um, that's when you need to start using the skin on your legs, the skin on your body, so usually like the side of your torso. Um, that's where you need to start having bare skin in order to stick to the pole because unless you're using um, very specifically coated poles, so for example like a silicone pole, um, like they use in Chinese circus, you do want to wear clothing for that because the fabric of your clothes will grip onto the pole versus your skin will rip off. <laughs> but for most pole studios, we use either brass poles or chrome or stainless steel. And um, in order to grip the metal of the pole, it helps to have bare skin. So that's why most um, pole studios, especially once you get into the intermediate and advanced levels, um, you physically are required to have very little clothing on in order to be able to stick to the pole in the way that you need to, to execute the tricks that you're working on. Mm -hmm. And what is it about pole that you love about the sport? Well, we touched on empowerment before. <laughs> so like, um, pretty much exactly like you said, I have never felt quite as powerful, um, physically strong and flexible as when I am training my pole tricks, especially. Um, so being able to hold up my entire body upside down in what sometimes feels like outer space um, is is just like when you stop and think about it is a really incredible thing so it's very empowering 
Um, it's also given me a much better connection with myself. Um, and it's given me a lot of really important relationships. It's allowed me to build a lot of really important and very close connected relationships in my life. So the community that, um, that a lot of people develop built around pole in general, as well as like your specific home pole studio, wherever that might be, um, community is definitely a huge, huge part of it as well. So those are kind of the things that I most fell in love with about it. And kind of on the flip side, when we talk about the community, Pole has this so supportive niche community who's there to cheer you on through everything. But with close-knit communities, sometimes come some dramas or some sticky points. Um, yes. Can you tell me a little bit about your current relationship with pole and maybe some words of advice if someone else has a sport that they love and feel like they need to take a step back? Yeah, for sure. So I have had, like, as amazing as pole has been in my life, I have had over the years a very mixed relationship with certain elements of it. Um, and I think some of the things that when we talk about how amazing and empowering Pole is and how supportive the community is, some of the things that get almost glossed over are the fact that um, it is a primarily female industry. And as much as I hate to admit it, when you get a lot of women and especially a lot of powerful women very close together, there can sometimes be drama that comes with that. Um, and I have had over the years, I've encountered relationships that ended up being very, very toxic um, or two-faced. So in the sense of on the surface, being very supportive and quote unquote loving <laughs> while um, well, under the surface, on a deeper level, being much more, um, almost like gaslighting, I guess. Um, and it's, I think the same with any toxic relationship or friendship that you might find in your life where it's, it can be hard to see it at the time. And then once you manage to kind of take a step back, then um, realizing the um, mental and emotional trauma that it kind of instills. Um, and so I've had that happen a couple of times where it left a very sour taste in my mouth when it came to pole in general rather than just specifically that one relationship and so that's been kind of hard to move past um and I'm lucky enough that now I have much more like I've I've managed to find a way to um focus on the relationships that are supportive through and through rather than just on the surface and um now being a studio owner um, having the opportunity to build my own home base, I guess, my like home base community in a way that 
supports what I need and my own vision for um, the the things that I feel are the most supportive and empowering about pole. Mm-hmm. Um, the other things that I feel can be tricky to deal with, and I know several other people um, within pole that I've had this discussion with, are the body image. Um, and people getting into pole because they want to lose weight or because they want to gain muscle or whatever the case might be. They want to see physical changes within their body. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you have that specific goal in mind and you're approaching it in a physically and mentally healthy way, then that's absolutely a valid reason for pursuing any type of sport, not just pole, right? Um, But I know that I personally have fallen into the trap, and especially when I was in my high-level competition years, I fell into the trap of um, viewing my body in a certain way that, again, at the time was hard to see as damaging, but looking back, I realized was very um, damaging to the way that I saw myself. And part of that to get into kind of, I guess, some specifics, like a specific example would be something that a lot of people in the classes that I taught and friends that I would meet at competition and stuff like that. Um, one of the things about my body that I would get a lot of comments on were my abs (laughs) and like having six pack abs and all of this stuff. Um, And I always would kind of like be like, oh yeah, thanks. Um, And didn't really give it too much of a second thought. And it wasn't until several years later when I hadn't really been competing anymore and my level of trick training had kind of dropped down um, that I realized I was like, oh, I internalized a lot of that um, to the point where once I started to lose muscle mass or um, gain a little bit of like, I don't even want to call it like fat over top, but like, you know, you just lose, lose that specific tone. Um, And I started to view that as like, Oh, I'm not working hard enough. Oh, I, and I, I, realized that I was viewing the worth of my body based on what it looked like versus what it felt like. And so even though I was feeling really good and feeling really healthy and happy in my skin, when I would look in the mirror, I was like, oh, it doesn't look like what it used to look like. And it was very disappointing. And so then I had to, and am still working on moving past that. in in a way where I can recognize like, okay, my body looks different, but what are the things that I love about it, even though it looks different than what I used to love about it? Um, and that's hard because, especially as women, our society in general puts a lot of pressure on us to look a certain way. And if we're too thin, then we're anorexic. And if we're too fat, then we're, you know, like over being overweight is 
like the worst thing in the world, apparently, and all of this stuff, right? So um, it can sometimes feel like we can't win. <laughs> and just, yeah, just finding ways to feel, um, to feel good rather than worrying about what you look like in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Well, first off, I'm sorry that you've had to experience all these things, all the negative side effects of a sport that you love. I know you're not alone in this journey. I myself have had those moments. If there is a young girl who's especially, there's not many female dominated sports. Maybe there's a young girl who's in dance or in gymnastics or cheerleading or pole, and she's feeling those things. Do you have any words of encouragement, even as you're working through it yourself? Um, I think, like I said before, it really comes down to what it feels like, right? So physically, emotionally, mentally, um, I, and especially now, like in these, these COVID days where we're very physically isolated, our level of, um, physical touch has like gone way, way down from what it normally would be. Um, for myself, I have been focusing on daily, like on a daily basis, making sure that I give myself um, physical touch. And like, obviously, I don't mean that in like a sexual way or anything like that. So when it but being able to like, feel my own skin, right? Like, touch your face, touch your legs, touch your arms, right? And just be able to be like, how does it feel physically to be inside my body? And then when it comes to movement, so whether it's pole, whether it's gymnastics or dance or swimming or football, or like, it doesn't matter what it is, but being able to translate that feeling of like, do I physically feel good right now? If I move in a certain way, does it physically feel good or does it feel uncomfortable? And if it feels uncomfortable, does it feel uncomfortable because it's painful or does it feel uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar? And maybe I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I think that um, personally reconnecting with that sensation of what it feels like to physically be in my body and not like, ah, stuck up in my own head almost, um, being able to drop my awareness down into my body and physically feel what is good versus what is bad um, has been a huge, huge part for me of reconnecting to what I love about movement mm -hmm. and not getting so caught up in what the world tells me that movement is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And from someone who's met you in person in the before COVID <laughs> times, when I watch you perform, I can feel that from you. Like, not only do you have the most beautiful dancers' feet and lines, like, I'm so jealous of your point. <laughs> so everything looks amazing, and you do it with such ease, and it's almost like you're not doing it to win the medal. You're not doing it to, like show off you're just it's just you and it's so natural and raw and it's such a joy to watch you live because you can feel that like it feels good in your body and you're just showing the world 
how awesome you are, if that makes sense. <laughs> that is very, very flattering to hear. Um, and actually, it's, it's funny because, um, so one of the things, like I, like I mentioned, I competed for many, many years. Um, and when I got to the professional level was when I started to notice um, a mental shift in myself. And I started to internalize a lot of the pressure that um, I was taking in from external sources. So um, I remember before, uh, like maybe a month before I went down to um, Ohio to compete in the um, pole competition at the Arnold Sports Festival, um, there was a girl at our studio uh, who, it was a, a different studio that I used to teach at because this was many years ago, but there was a girl at the studio that I was um, teaching at who jokingly, and she obviously meant nothing by it, but jokingly made the comment that like, oh, if you don't get a medal, don't bother coming home, haha. And um, so I, like just little comments like that, that I started to kind of internalize and it took all of the joy out of my experience with competing. And so like, like you said, you and I met um, at competition. And so one of the things that I've always loved about being in that setting of competition is being backstage with the energy of all the people and the excitement and we're there to perform. So it's something like really exciting that we love and that everyone shares. Um, and it stopped being that for me. It started becoming this like very tunnel vision. Um, I have to get my routine just right. I have to make sure that like, like, not that I felt like I needed to be better than everyone, but um, more the perfectionism. The I hit a point where I watched the other performers in my category, and I it struck me this feeling of unworthiness, like I don't belong here. Like everyone is so much better than I am. I'm not good enough to be in this position. Um, the, my tricks are not the same level as what these other performers are showing. My technique is not the same level as what these other performers are showing. And so I started to get very down on myself. Um, and yeah, it took all of the joy out of it. So I ended up having to take about a year and a half break from doing competitions. And then when I got back into it, I um, performed um, in, I guess it would have been October 2019, I performed in the PSO competition in Toronto. And the category that I performed in was the floor work and low flow category. Um, because at that point I was much more um, focused on dance choreography and um, floor work um, and spin combinations rather than doing high level tricks. So I was like, I'm gonna just go into the floor work category. I'm gonna do a routine that like I love because I just love to flow and dance. And 
the experience was like a world of difference from the competition that I had done a year and a half before. Um, and it just like, I could feel the difference backstage. I could feel the difference on stage. And, um, when I walked away from that competition, I was like, and now I'm done because that was the, like such a good positive experience. It was back to what it used to feel like when I first started competing in like 2013. Um, so I was like, I don't need to stick around for it to start feeling like a pressure again. So it's, it's hard to not internalize those things and to just focus on the love of it. Right. So being able to, yeah. So I guess going back to what you were saying about advice for other women in sport or especially like young girls who are still at the stage where they're doing it because they love it and they, children don't have that sense of pressure so much yet. Right. Like they're still at a stage where they haven't internalized the rest of the world. <laughs> right. Um, so being able to hold on to why you love it and not what the world tells you you're supposed to love about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Great advice. Yeah. If it's not a happy memory, we won't go down this road, but I would just like to point out because it is awesome that at Arnold Schwarzenegger sports festival, you actually came first place. Yeah, so I competed two years there. Um, I competed, my first year I competed in the open, the women's open category. Um, and it was my first time competing internationally. And I, that is one of my favorite competitions. It was uh, both years that I competed. It was one of the best atmospheres. It is very, very well organized, um, very well run. And I just, yeah, I met so many amazing people there. Did you meet um, Arnold Schwarzenegger though? Did you I did him? not. I did not. I saw him a couple times. Like I saw, because he wanders around the whole festival, right? So I do remember seeing him like wandering around a couple times. Um, I did not meet him, no. Um, but yeah, so the first year that I competed there, I won, um, I won the women's open category. And it was really... <laughs> funny um because when after everyone had competed and they called our category up and everyone was like lined up on stage side by side by side big long line across the back of the stage and they called out the they were like you know second runner up so the third place goes to so and so um first runner up so and so and then they were like and the winner of the women's open division and before like I literally like looked over to where the announcers were standing and the entire rest of the line this entire line of women were already looking directly at me <laughs> and I was just like what is happening right now that's surreal um it was yeah it was incredible like it was such a such a wild experience um and yeah i i still i watched that routine because obviously i have a video of it and when i watched that routine back it just like that that 
same energy I can kind of draw back to the surface. So it's really, really interesting um, to still have that connection, I guess. Right. I think we're going to have to post that video or like a clip of it on our Instagram. Cause for me, it's just like your, I won't spoil it, but your final ending pose. And, and like, I get sweaty hands and I was like, I would have just slid down. Like I'll post it so people can get a visual on our Instagram. There you go. And it's funny. Um, just, just because, so that video, um, was what I used as my audition video for, um, the pole expo, um, classic competition in Las Vegas. Um, and apparently for that one, it was within about the first 30 seconds of my video that the judging panel decided they wanted me to be in their top 10 for the, the classic competition. So I was like, that's kind of cool. So, um, yeah. And, I think that's the other thing that I've noticed about the way that pole competitions have kind of transformed over the years. And obviously now with everything kind of transitioning into a virtual platform for competitions for this year, um, it's going to be very different, but um, I have seen how competition has evolved from 2013 when I started competing up until like now, um, where the level has changed so dramatically. And I think that it's important to recognize the fact that more is not always better. Um, and so whenever I'm coaching people for competition, I try and stick with that. And I always make it very clear to all of my competitors, all of my students, that like the way that I approach things is if you want a hard hitting trick packed routine. I am not your coach um, because that is not what I do. Um, I think in order to build a really well balanced and impactful routine, you have to be able to balance those hard hitting moments with a breath in between, right? Like you need to be able to focus on some of the smaller details um, as well as the big tricks, those big like build up climax moments, you need to have um, some downtime in between them. And I've always found that whenever I get back my um, videos or photos, my photo proofs from competition, usually my favorite photos are the ones taken in those little breath moments where I'm not really doing anything. I'm not in a trick. It's not any sort of big pose. It's something where I can see that I'm completely in that moment. Um, so yeah, whenever I watch other people perform, it's those little detail moments that I always look for and that always give me that little like, whoo, chill. Yeah, it turns it from just tricks and tricks and tricks to an inviting performance. And yes. Pole has become such a big thing. It might even eventually be an Olympic sport. So hopefully people take this advice in mind if they ever get the Olympics <laughs> for pole. Yes. And that as well, like I, I've had a lot of discussions with people about that side of it too, because one of the things that's so amazing about pole um, is that 
there are so many different facets to it, right? Like when you think of dance, salsa dance is an art form unto itself as is ballet, as is hip hop, as is tap, right? Like there are so many different styles that are all still considered dance. And as wide ranging as dance can be, pole is equally wide ranging. So you have everything from um, like, you know, very high energy dynamic strip club performances to very sensual, sultry um, movement to very gymnastic, sport-focused, um, strength-kind-of-based training as well. So when it comes to the way that I think pole will end up falling into an Olympic category is much more similar to what you see in gymnastics performances for the Olympics, right? It'll be much more regulated. It'll be much more, um, much less artistic, I think, which for some people is actually a turn off, right? For myself personally, I can appreciate the, the um, way that pole will um, end up being presented as an Olympic event. It's not the style of pole that I have any interest in doing. Um, but it's, you know, it's its own thing. They're all very different sides of this like multifaceted art form. Mm -hmm. right? Great. It's one of those sports that it is what you make of it. Like I've mentioned before, I get sweaty hands. So everything I do is like a knee hold or an elbow hold. And I don't have the strength some girls do. So I'm all about the flexibility tricks. Like you cater the sport to what fits you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And as a teacher and a studio owner now, how are you taking all of that advice and kind of what this podcast is about helping girls in the building blocks and getting them towards that place where they love the sport just as much as you do? Um, well, right now I'm having a very hard time. Uh, so a lot of, with, with the way that this last year has gone um, through the pandemic, a lot of studios have transitioned um, at least partially, if not fully into an online platform, right? So a lot of studios when we're not in lockdown, now offer, as well as their physical studio membership, will offer an online membership option as well, um, right? For myself personally, I have a very hard time teaching online because I draw my energy from the people in the room, from sharing that physical space. Uh, so I've been, that's been one of the things that I've been struggling a little bit with. And when it comes to building a studio of my own and especially since my my studio um, is currently going through the process of rebranding so when I purchased the studio it was um, under the name of Pulfit Nation which was a brand um, created by Jane Wilson um, who I also had met through competition and she's been um, a really really big inspiration for so many people in the pole community um, and so her brand, Pulfit Nation, was very, very well known and very well established. And so for myself to kind of take that and 
now work on rebranding it to something that feels much more in line with my own vision um, is both exciting and very scary. <laughs> um, and it's interesting to, to try and, um, I guess, take all of my favorite elements of pole and be able to present them as the winning features, I guess, to any new people coming through the door, right? Like, there's something very magical about it. There's something very, um, you almost feel like you're being invited into the secret club, like a little clubhouse where, um, the people that get it, get it. But if, if it's not for you, then that's fine. But like the people who, yeah, I don't know really how else to put it. Like the people who get it, get it. Yeah. Yeah. If they're part of the community, they're part of the community the second they walk through the door. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I know that most cities have multiple pole studios, but if people want to find out more information about you and your studio, where can they go for that? Um, so our studio is, our new brand is called Paracosm Studio of Movement. And so you can find us on Instagram at Paracosm Movement. Um, on Facebook, uh, we're Paracosm Studio of Movement. Um, we do have our new website is um is up we obviously because we're in lockdown currently don't have registrations available for classes um but our website is paracosmmovement.com um yeah awesome <laughs> i'll share it all on the instagram as well perfect perfect sounds good sounds awesome Libby, thank you so much. A, it's been great just to connect after all this time, but to share your true, raw, unfiltered, the good, the bad, the ugly, <laughs> and the Arnold Schwarzenegger sightings of your pole experience. <laughs> it's been fantastic chatting with you, and it just makes me so much more eager to go back in the studio once everything is lifted and the world is safe again and get back into a sport that is just so awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's been so great to connect with you again. That's all the time we have for this week on the You Go Girl podcast. Be sure to tune in every Wednesday to hear from more amazing Canadian women in sport.